This is the Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we're going to have a great show today. I'm excited about this one. Uh, let me kind of introduce everybody first. I'll, I'll introduce people first, and then I'll introduce uh, the topic. So uh, I'll introduce our guest first. So our guest we have with us today, uh, we have uh, Dr. Karen Scaglione. Uh, Dr. Scaglione is a doctorate-level nurse practitioner who's also an assistant teaching professor at St. Louis University, and her current clinical practice is in critical care and emergency medicine. So welcome, Dr. Scaglione. Thank Hi. you. Thank you, Steve. It's wonderful yeah. to be here. Yeah, yeah. Glad you could be here. Yeah. And we, we also have uh, Dr. Jessica Whalen as co-host. Say hi, Jessica. Hello. Hello. And, and we have assistant co-host, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hey. Hi. And we have Chad running the soundboard. You have to say hi, too, Chad. Chad. <laughs> He's there, I swear. Chad is Chad's there. So, <laughs> all right. So, hey, so we're, that's, that's going to be our, the topic for the show today. Here, here's the topic. So uh, there, with so many things going on in the world recently, I think one thing that people have, uh, ha have kind of forgotten about this year because there's so many other things, uh, so many other things going on is, is that June is pride month and, and June is the month where a lot of the world focuses its attention on, um, on issues having to do with, uh, you know, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, transgender, and, and other other sorts of folks, um, and um, and that that's the month of June. So we decided to have a show about uh, medical care for uh, LGBT folks, and it turns out that there are a lot of issues surrounding that, kind of a surprising number of issues uh, surrounding. Uh, just you know, medical care, whether it's specific to uh, LGBT issues or medical care, just regular routine medical care for people who are uh, LGBT, and and that's what we're going to be talking about uh, today. So we got a great group of people here to talk about it with us, and uh, we're going to start. I'm going to start by asking Dr. Scaglione. So, so, so Dr. Scaglione, can, can you tell us? Uh, could you kind of give us some examples of? Uh, just kind of some examples of problems that LGBT people uh, face when they try to get medical care, and and what are some of the ways that that it even matters that they're LGBT when they're getting medical care? So yeah, Steve. So thank you. So one of the biggest barriers to finding services for uh, the LGBT is to find healthcare services. One of the biggest obstacles is finding healthcare services in their area. Um, you know, they, they, another big barrier is they encounter discrimination when, when trying to do this. Um, many come across uh, refusal of services in healthcare, whether it be hormonal refusals, HIV prevention, fertility. Uh, and so at the end of the day, a lot of this community tend to delay coming to a provider about their concerns and uh, in fear of mistreatment. Um, so all the above really increases the health risk for the LGP, uh, LBGT population. I'm sorry here. Um, okay. And um, yeah. it, it, it yeah. increases a drastic amount of depression, anxiety, and addiction um, in this group. So, um, and it does matter. Um, 
you know, you asked me why does it matter um, if they're LGBT, and and the reality is, is you know, this is a special population. If any population, pediatric population, adult population, geriatric population, mental health population, um, this population needs to have the, be given the respect and um, the treatment needed to. Um, you know, uh, address their specific medical needs and problems. And, uh, and, and so it does matter for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I've, I've certainly seen that in my practice. I have, you know, have had quite a few patients who are LGBT over the years. And, and sometimes they tell me stories about experiences they've had in the doctor's office and things like that, that are like, geez, you know, that's, 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 that's bad. Well, do you think, do you think that those those sorts of difficulties are are like are they the rule or are they the exception? Is it just like a few a few doctors' offices who are bad about this, or are most of them no good, or what? What, what do you what, what what's it like out there? You know, you know, Steve. Unfortunately, I believe that there's a majority out there that are lacking. Um, I think offices, pro- providers in general. Um, staff's attitudes and offices, I think that they're lacking the knowledge base and education that is needed to treat this uh, particular population of patients. And um, yeah. I don't think it's just a, um, a minor. I think it's, it's a major, it's more major uh, in regards to um, identifying, uh, you know, the treatment centers and uh, offices that are not allowing these patients to be seen. So we have a we have an issue at hand here that I think needs to be addressed. Uh, you know, even yeah. more so at the state level. Um, currently, there's only 37 states that actually, uh, I mean, 37 states that do not uh, ban health insurance discrimination. Even so, when we're talking about not just being seen in a clinic, you know, we can actually bring the insurance discrimination into that too. Um, it's hard for them even to find a provider to treat them, and then to have insurances even cover their services. Hundred percent. Piggyback onto that with um, all the different practices that I work because it's a special population that I definitely say that I cater to within my own practice, and it, it seems small, but even as things as simple as electronic health records, I've used probably six different platforms within. Um, less than 10 years alone. And for the first time, I have a system that actually allows me something so simple as to uh, choose a, a name for a patient that actually displays across all of the pages in a place that makes it easily accessible and visible to staff which is huge, whether LGBTQ or not, if someone has a preferred and chosen name, I find that to be exceptionally important, Um, especially if someone is um, transgender, that can be exceptionally um, reaffirming for them and, and, and very much needed um, for a, their self-esteem purposes as well and, and comfort level within an office and within a provider's office when, when they're being seen. And the EHRs yeah. aren't even necessarily set up appropriately right. for, yeah. for patients. So, and this so, 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 so something, as, something as simple be, as having, having people able to, to have their preferred name instead of their 
other gender name. But hey, so we're going to talk more about this in just a moment. Uh, that music means we got to sign off and we'll be right back. Listening to the medical beat. All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is the medical beat, ninety-seven point one FM talk, and uh, I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. Our guest is Dr. Karen Scaglione, and we have Jessica Whalen and Sherry joining us today too. And uh, today we're talking about healthcare for the LGBT community. And when we left off uh, just a little while ago, the topic we were talking about at that time was, was just sometimes it's as simple as how does the medical record work? And, and this, this is certainly something I've seen. I, I think but before we did the show, I, I, uh, I kind of, um, I uh, co- contacted a f- uh, several of my favorite LGBT people who I know. And uh, I, I think I actually got at least one person for each of those letters. And, uh, and really, yeah, one of the main things they told me about was, was actually exactly what, what uh, Jessica was talking about, which is the whole thing with the medical records. You know, if there's uh, like a, you know, a transgender person, let's say it's, you know, like if it's someone, Joe, who's transitioning to Jane, and it's someone who looks like a girl, identifies as a girl, but you know, but their medical record calls them Joseph or Joe or something like that. You know, that's a that's a huge problem and a huge source of, of embarrassment for them. And things like that are fairly uh, fairly easy to address with with medical record systems. And are there other things with medical record systems that you guys can think of. Yeah, I mean, because it's always linked. Because I feel, and this is just one of the issues I feel, medical record systems were highly adapted to basically track our productivity and our finances, less yeah, than actually right. doing anything better for actually capturing records that <laughs> they yes. don't actually reflect as much on the patient side. And so I feel like they don't always relay that information we want. And that is the problem is that it's not as reflective, whether it's those nicknames or even really giving that well-rounded picture for that person. Because yes, lots of people have pronoun differences that they may want, or they may have nicknames, whether they're transgender or not. Just some people may have preferred um, names. They may, because now it, it may not even be full gender. There's pangender, their orientation differences or sexual orientation. There's so many things that we could include in there and it's just not being reflective, which also helps train our practitioners. So even if our practitioners aren't intending to be discriminatory, the system itself can really help with training and it's not really set up. And that does get into our educational systems are not even helpful there either. I don't feel that our educational programs are really offering that in diversity. I don't remember in my school, that even in mental health, which was a teeny blip it as it is, we weren't spending a lot of time on LGBTQ, let alone, you know, the small uh, proportions. Half the time when they talk about other cultures, we're not even digging very deep. And half of that is all um, 
uh, it's just kind of textbook. It's not really getting yeah. that out there and really meeting real people and talking to real me- people and, and, and getting in different cultures. Yeah. 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 I, I think there, there's, there's a lot of progress that can be made with, uh, you know, with, with, with better education and, and yeah, and I, I think some, some very simple changes with the, with the medical record systems too. I, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think medical record systems, a lot of them were, you know, I, I think built, not, not built by doctors and nurses, but built by computer programmers who hate doctors and nurses or something like that. So, yeah. and so, so, so sometimes it appears that way. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> and I, and I, I guess, I guess, I guess another thing is so, so we usually hear it called LGBT. Sometimes you, we see extra letters there, LGBTQIA or yeah. Yeah. What, what, what up with that? What are all those extra letters? Well, there, there's a, there, there are always a quite a, a few more letters that are definitely being added to, and I, um, and I usually at, ask because sometimes, as the letters have have I, I've found as they've they've kind of expanded um, because we have pansexual and transgender. Uh, gender queer, intersex, agender, a- asexual, ally. Um, there, there's so many more that are kind of coming on. Um, I, I have to start kind of asking each individual also what their what the letter means for them because now I'm starting to find that the definition is not always the same meaning for some 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 communities. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Specific yeah. to make sure what does that mean for you when I'm talking to someone in front of me as a patient. I'm always really, um, I always want to know what what that yeah. to have them give me their definition. Yeah, yeah, and I and I guess I guess just in general, you know, LGBT people kind of kind of don't want to be all don't want to be lumped into one category that that's a lot of a lot of different things yeah no yeah. we're trying to get away from labels um so the the whole yeah. the whole point is, is is not labeling and not um not discriminating and and all of those pieces so as, as it's great to be you know proud and an in, individual but um we don't want to be stigmatizing or anything like that so so um, that's why, to me, the individual in front of me, I always want to know what what's your story, what right. what are you telling, um, and it's yeah. what is your definition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I guess I guess another thing I was wondering about is so uh, you know so Karen mostly works in emergency rooms and in critical care. So what's it? What's it like there? If if an LGBT person comes in through there, do they do they have difficulty getting quality service there, or do they face discrimination in those places? What what do you think? Not only are you a, vul- a vulnerable patient coming through that door, um, in general, uh, not knowing what's going to happen to you, and it's considered an emergency. You're in the emergency room, but when you're in when you're in a particular subset of a population of LGBT and so forth, 
you are even more vulnerable to how you feel and how you're going to be discriminated against. And absolutely, I believe that there is discrimination at times uh, within um, the emergency room and critical care uh, per se. But I think that it what it boils down to is um, breaking is tr- is getting that trust there between you and the patient and um, educating yourself upon, uh, just like Dr. Whelan has stated, you know, something as simple as respecting uh, the name of the individual. And if you get it wrong, apologize to them like you would anybody else for mispronouncing their name. Um, It can be as simple as that. Uh, But I think that in in helping that patient particular-wise understand that uh, you're there to treat them, regardless of who they are, what they look like, um, what they have become, in their eye, I mean, you are there to treat them as a whole person. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't matter their race, their 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 gender, their um, cultural. You know, you you are there to treat them like you would anyone else. That ties yeah. in exactly to what we're talking about. What's going on nationally? We are going to make mistakes, and the only way that we learn with any person anywhere is by making the mistakes and apologizing for them that's how that's how we that's how we communicate and that's how we learn yeah Yeah. and when you apologize don't bring forth empathy and sympathy don't it's got to be a true apology it can't just be you know especially in emergency room medicine and critical care we're always on the go it's it's a matter of life or death you're you're you're, um, you know, talking to the patient, you're trying to get the quickest story, you're trying to get their deepest, quickest story out of them. And you need to know everything that's been going on. So you can hopefully diagnose them correctly, and treat them and make sure they do well. And in order to do that, you're, you know, you're talking fast, you're getting a breakdown. But you always have to remember during that time that they are human. And I've always said to not only my students, but to my coworkers, treat someone like you would want to be treated and how you would treat your family. And I think that brings back down to humbling, you know, to a humbling situation where you can remember to take the time and just give them the respect that they need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds good. And and, uh, the the music, the, the music we're hearing means we'll need to, we'll need to sign off in just a moment and we'll be back right after, uh, right after a commercial break here. But uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion about uh, health care for LGBT folks. We'll be right back. Listening to the medical beat. All right, we're back. This is the medical beat, ninety-seven point one FM talk, and uh, we're talking about uh, healthcare for uh, LGBT people, kind of in, in honor of uh, in honor of Pride Month, the month of June, and. Uh, Kind of in our discussion, it's come up that in a lot of ways the healthcare system falls short when it comes to to giving you know good quality healthcare for people uh, who are LGBT, uh, either you know with uh, 
you know, even problems with the medical record systems, not really accounting for some of the things they need to account for. And so, so I guess, I guess one question that I want to, that I want to address to, to Karen here is, do you have an opinion about the, the, the falling, the falling short? Do you think that's because the medical community is not paying attention or do you think it's because of, prejudice within the people who are providing medical care? Do you, do you think there's a fair amount of bigotry out there or do you think they're just, just not paying attention? You know, Steve, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and I don't think there's, um, I don't think there's a, just a one answer that's all to that. I think that that is an answer sometimes that uh, applies to each individual or um, I, you know, I think that some healthcare workers are a, oblivious to it. I think that they just weren't educated enough on it and there is no continued education for them. So if they didn't get it in their program, which most of them didn't, uh, and then coming into the workforce, if they're not exposed to it, you know, that particular population enough, then they just choose to maybe ignore um, that particular part of uh, healthcare. And then there's others that I think that are more exposed to it that may form their own opinions um, so that's that's not a question that I, I, I could say that that um, I could even generalize on. I I, I mean I, I'm not sure if there's a uh, a full fledged answer to that. I think that it's that is um, you know pervasive answer for for each individual. Um, I believe that there yeah. might be you know more to the outside uh, world than there is in the medical world of maybe that bigotry of some sort. But I think that again, healthcare workers can have an unconscious bias. That may come yeah. out, and yeah. without even knowing it. Yeah, yeah that, that, that that could be. I guess kind of kind of kind of my take on it. I think is you know I think you know just just going going through medical school and residency. You know I, I know you know I know you know all, all physicians sort of uh, you know help take care of of lots and lots of people of of all sorts, including LGBT people. So I think. I, I think in some ways, even if even if someone was was bigoted when they started, that that's cured cured pretty quickly, or at least gets better pretty quickly when you're when you're when you're trying to help LGBT people every day, and you kind of meet. It's 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 hard it's hard to dislike a group when you know them personally, because then you start to you you, 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 you tend you tend to like your patients, and and I, I think a lot of that yeah. uh, a lot of that prejudice dissolves away. So I I think. I think that on average the medical community is less bigoted than the general population. That's, but yeah, but but still the medical community needs to do better than it's doing right now, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think at Any, large the medical mm-hmm. community can step out, and because of our special position in society and where we're at right now, with you know how much trauma our society is going through really help with all the fear and everything that's going on. And we can help be a change because we are taught to do no harm by individuals and help to treat all individuals with compassion and give people uh, equality and equal access to care. And I think that's a very unique stance and we're trained to be that way. Yeah. So what can we, what other, other, other than doing a good job ourselves as individuals, what, what else can we do to change the system? Or do you all have ideas for what, what we can do to make, uh, to make things better? 
Or if, if we were yeah, if we were in charge of the world, what what rules would we make? Well, you know, just to start in medicine in general, um, in offices, I mean, even something as simple as a welcoming environment for them. I mean, even something as simple as um, you know, reasonable access to bathrooms, um, and um, you know. There's always pamphlets in waiting rooms, right? And the pamphlets are usually about diabetes, hypertension, and they usually have a typical subtype of a patient on them. So something maybe more geared toward the LGBT population in itself. Um, And um, learning how to use the benchmarking tool to evaluate your healthcare facility, you know, are um, participating in the healthcare quality index, which is part of this. Uh, for your facility to help um, incorporate more LGBT, uh, you know, benchmarking tools and safety tools for this particular population. Uh, greater access to, for, to referrals for them, too. So um, that's something that's lacking. Obviously, they're lacking in healthcare services, but then also um, just the idea of being able to get a referral for something they need is extremely difficult. Uh, I don't know, Dr. Whelan, what, would you agree, especially in mental health? Isn't it difficult? A hundred percent. And, you know, they are still the stigma and barriers. And I like always starting with educational programs, even in schools from the mental health perspective, because of the high suicide rates, especially in this population. So I always like targeting with even in in bringing into the community. Um, So I feel like in mental health, I like hitting the, I like hitting with community programs um, and community outreach and act teams and um, anything that I can do on on those sorts where there's community integrated programs, I feel that that's a good way. And even getting volunteer based programs where people are working with those community mental health programs, that's a great way to get not only volunteers involved working back and forth with your healthcare providers because that's a good way also for others to be educated. Um, because it's I, we can't be the only ones on the one side doing the work because we want others to be learning and like a ripple effect, have this spread outwards. Um, and that's not just to say for the LGBT community, but across all diversity and all spectrums. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, another a big change that can happen is inviting members of the LGBT population to your office or to your medical facility and allowing them to ask questions of you and to be open and frank with them and to get and to let them get to know you and and get into a trusting relationship where you can form a a medical relationship with them and you can help them. Um, That that falls into what Dr. Williams is saying about education, too, and helping, um, uh, you know, the the diversity and understanding what it means and, and what this population needs from healthcare in particular, you know, because each population of patients needs something from healthcare. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We need to be, sens- we need to be very sensitive to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you mentioned there's some, sometimes like uh, some, um, some uh, in, insurance, sometimes insurance won't cover some of the specific needs of LGBT people. And uh, I think, I think disallowing disallowing that sort of uh, disallowing that sort of uh, uh, discrimination by insurance companies, I think, would be a step forward. Also, 
Absolutely. Yes. Being able to work at the state level with uh, and be proactive at the state level to help uh, work with insurance companies to, to reduce claim rejections for this particular population. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and help, help them get better care, uh, the care that they deserve, like everybody deserves in the world that we live in. Right. Top medical care. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's certainly a lot of things that can be done. So, so if, if someone, uh, for an LGBT person, do you have any advice on, on what they can do to find, uh, you know, to find a welcoming practice or to, to find, uh, to find a physician who, uh, who, uh, who would do a good job accommodating whatever they need? Well, I know in our um, community, I know as far as the the hospitals are concerned, um, St. Louis Children's for the pediatric side of things has really been growing um, their their, uh, programming and kind of their outreach on on that, on for for that group. There's um, Telfa um, for uh, uh, the transgender um, population as well. Um, and I know a lot of peace, people get, um, uh, great, uh, help from that organization as well. Um, I, um, have also helped get assistance and there's lots of great online resources for kind of finding, and that's how most of my patients end up finding, uh, resources also, um, is usually kind of networking that way. Um, a lot of the hormone replacement specialists, they kind mm-hmm. of have their core groups um, oh, of yeah. individuals that refer. Uh, so once you kind of fall into the network, we kind of know who who kind of in the community knows each other. So that's kind of yeah. a good place to start. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, so so I so I guess a lot of it is sort of word of mouth. They you know they have a have friends or, or Facebook groups or things like that where they can find out where the good places are to go? Yeah, it's kind or of starting like that. I'm friends. hoping that it's going to start to expand. I was really excited to see as St. Uh, St. Louis Children started really trying to ramp up their programming um, uh-huh. because they're um, bigger in the community. And so they have a larger name. Um, and so now that's kind of a bigger group. And I know, I think St. Louis Institute of Behavioral Medicine Medicine was also oh, the, stepping up their their program as well and hearing more from them also. Oh, um, that, yeah. Because that's good to hear. So, yeah, so a lot of places. So, oh, the Chad is playing the music, and uh, we must do as Chad commands. We're, uh, we're going to head out for just a little bit, uh, but we're going to be right back, and we'll continue the discussion, and we'll have a new topic. We're going to have another topic when we come back. Be there soon. You're listening to the Medical Beat. This is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM talk, and we've been talking about uh, health care for the LGBT population. Um, 
And uh, just just one one thing that kind of gives us a, a a historical perspective is you know I'm I'm uh, I'm just a little bit older than than Jessica and Karen what by three or four years I think yeah I'm just a little just, just kidding <laughs> by a lot but yeah so so I'm just a little bit older than these guys so so what I remember way way back way way back when I was in medical school you know where we used like you know stone scalpels and stuff like that so so back back then um really w- when you heard about health care for lgbt people um really just the first thing to come to mind or almost the only thing to come to mind was hiv you know that that was in the that was right when the the hiv epidemic was uh was in full swing and it was we, we saw lots and lots of, of people die that way and that that's that, that's kind of what healthcare and LGBT. That's kind of how those two things were associated with each other back then. I, I had a an infectious disease professor who who was one of one of our main professors in the medical school. I ran into him at a at a medical school class reunion recently. You know, so this is much later. I kind of asked him how everything was going, and what he told me is that. You know, is that his practice, his infectious disease practice used to be mostly gay men with HIV. And now he mostly had, you know, a lot of the same patients and, and they, they still have HIV. But the treatment for HIV is so much better now that he was just sort of a general practice doctor. He took care of their other medical problems. And really, the HIV was sort of a, a problem in parentheses for them. So that's 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 kind of a happy a happy conclusion to that story that uh, the things are going much better for for his group of patients. But uh, anyway, that's uh, that, that that's the LGBT uh, topic. We're we're actually going to switch gears now. We're going to switch gears, and uh, we're in, in just a little bit. We're going to have a moment of science. We're going to have a we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the healthcare or the health of elite athletes, uh, especially uh, football players versus uh, baseball players. And so when we do that, Chad, can, can we have the uh, sound effect for uh, a moment of science? And now for a moment of science. 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 Thank you, Chad. Yes. Yes. A moment of science. A moment of science, everybody. So we're so we're we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about uh, a study that recent a, a recent study that came out of Harvard and it's a group that studies uh, the health of elite athletes and in this study specifically they looked at uh, the difference in death rates uh, for uh, professional football players versus professional baseball players. Now, when I say professional football, I mean I'm talking about I'm talking about American football, not that soccer thing the rest of the world calls football. <laughs> we're we're talking real football here. At least at least I think it's the real football. <laughs> you know. So, uh, so 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 what they did is they they looked at they looked at 6,000 people who played either for the NFL or they played for the for Major League Baseball. And they only counted people who played for at least five seasons, right? So they only counted people who played at least five seasons, and they were major league. And they, they took people who who played 
from like 1959 up through, I don't know, 1970-something, 1980-something. And they checked to see how many of those people were still alive, because, you know, of course, now a lot of them are older, right? So they checked to see how many of them are still alive and how many of them have died and, and how old were they when they died. So, um, so when we compared uh, baseball versus football, uh, let's uh, – hey, may, maybe, you know, just for fun, we can put assistant co-host Sherry on the spot here. Are you there, Sherry? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't want to be, but she's there. Hey, so so take a guess. Can you tell us – just take a guess. It's it's okay if your guess is wrong. What do you okay. think? Football players, Football players versus baseball players. Who lived longer or, or were they the same? I would say baseball players lived longer because football's a harsher sport, more concussions. The good guess. Very good. Yes. And uh, ding, 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 ding. Sher- Sherry is correct. Sherry is correct. Uh, but, but actually, Sherry is correct for the wrong reason. You're still right, but for the wrong yeah. reason. And, and, and actually, so here's the deal. So, so what Sherry said was actually pretty much exactly the same thing I thought. You know, when I looked at that, I thought, oh, you know, everybody knows that football players have these head injuries. You know, they're going to get, you know, chronic traumatic, you know, they're going to get, you know, tra- traumatic brain injury from this. And they have neurodegenerative problems. So, so probably that's going to, on the average, end their life sooner. They have also but, different weight sizes uh-huh. and food intake and um yeah impact on the body muscle beating probably muscle injury rhabdomyolysis injuries all, to bone. Um, all sorts of stuff yeah but football is rough all, on the body i would think yeah yeah, yeah all, all sorts of stuff yeah so it so it turns out when, when you look at the causes of death you know you know you know like dementia or neuro you know brain brain related deaths were a pretty small part of those football deaths, a pretty small part. The bigger part is that they had a lot more cardiovascular deaths, a lot more heart attacks and strokes and things like that, even compared to uh, professional baseball players. I I think given the percentage of if you did, they factor in just based on uh, probably race breakdowns, because there is a higher a higher predisposition on race breakdowns, probably a higher risk of uh, or higher rate of um, African American yeah. community, which has a higher predisposition to high cholesterol. Yeah. And usually, their medication choices, I will say, usually they're more frequently not put on the correct diet plans and medication plans. It's, it's not necessarily saying a bad thing, and I'm sure the athletes yeah. are often given doctors and given chances at doctors that I know in the, in the regular community uh, more frequently yeah. not yeah. put on yeah. accurate meds for their, yeah. their uh, body type. Um, yeah. And so more, more, more frequently there's complications related to the higher rates of cardiovascular illness. So more frequently. So that would be my expectation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure if they checked that specifically or not, but but what I do know is they pointed out that there was there was another study done by another group at a, at a different time 
where they found out that you know that the foot just just among the football players that that linemen you know pe- people you know like you know linebackers and and the, the linebackers the big people had shorter lifespans than the small fast people so i think i think part of it's just the really big muscular people that that's that's a strain on their body so that's at least part of it there's more to it than that too yeah. but but the music's Start playing so out we go yeah so, thank you everybody for being here on the show Thank you, Karen, Dr. Karen Scaglione. Thank you, Jessica, Dr. Jessica Whalen. Thank you, assistant co-host Sherry. Thank you, Chad. And we're out. And peace, love, and understanding. And out we go. Bye-bye.